We at Inner Picture Stories are delighted to present the IPS t-shirts. T-shirts that change the world. Not only does each t-shirt design tell a story and carry a message of light waiting to be spread in your life and to those around you, but with each purchase, you also get to choose the cause you would like to support where parts of your money will go. The causes that these shirts support vary from the environment to animals to those struggling with mental health issues, suicidal thoughts, loneliness and diseases such as cancer. For further information about the IPS t-shirts and about the good causes you can support, simply go to innerpicturestories.com slash shirt and take a look at these stunning t-shirts that can change the world. Welcome to the Inner Picture Stories podcast. My name is Jelis Vaas, your host and the founder of Inner Picture Stories, the educational platform on life. I hereby invite you to come on a journey with me. In each episode, we will dive into the life of an inspiring person seeking lessons of wisdom about life and the world we live in. Answers that you can take away and use in your own life. It's true that no one ever said life would be easy, but it's also true that no one ever said you had to do it alone. So get ready and let the journey begin. A warm welcome here to the IPS podcast. With the podcast, we have just hit another milestone, leading no more than to a new five bullet point episode of episode 16 to 20. In this episode, you will hear snippets of the past five episodes that will, one, help you find any episodes you're excited to listen to, and second, the five bullet point episodes are also great for getting a quick dose of inspiration in your daily life. Now, with that, I'd also like to take a moment here to thank each of the guests who took the time to come to the IPS podcast and for providing some incredible insights and lessons. And of course, I also want to thank all of you for being here. It's it's just incredible to see so many positive responses to the podcast and an increase of listeners every month. We here at Inner Picture Stories value your time enormously and hope each episode has left you with more knowledge than before. Now, to find the full podcast episodes, check the show notes of the episode found in the description. Or you can also go directly to innerpicturestories.com slash podcast and search for the five bullet point episodes. Now, with that, here is to many more episodes to come and enjoy this five bullet point episode here of episodes 16 to 20. Kalina Silverman is the founder of Big Talk, a platform that inspires and enables people to connect on a deeper level with one another. In this episode, she talks about how to move from small talk to big talk. So many, you know, would say that small talk is more comfortable. However, if you actually ask people if they would rather engage in more meaningful conversations, most do desperately crave to have those and like to feel this deeper connection with others. Through Big Talk and the many people you've met in the events and workshops you've done, what have you come to discover are some of the fears most people have why they don't move to the Big Talk? Actually, a lot of the fears are just simply not even knowing that these questions exist or are possible. But when they ask the questions, and it's it's not 
actually more scary than small talk. Sometimes more of a relief because with small talk, it's almost like you're putting on this forced veneer in front of trying to have these conversations and be friendly and just talk about things that don't really matter, but just fill up space. Whereas big talk, you can almost relax into answering it because it's just speaking from the heart and from the mind of who you really are. So I think people are scared to ask the question, but once they ask, they realize it's actually easier. Rich Hungerford is a former SIS commander and today senior instructor at his survival school, Bushlore Australia. In this episode, he talks about his time in the army as an SIS soldier, what it means to be a warrior, and how nature has changed him and affected others who enrolled in his survival school. These are but a few of the many interesting topics covered in this episode. This interview contains some real gems and powerful lessons from a man who breeds wisdom good while ago i watched your tedx talk i hear the call of the wild which um i watched again for a few days ago for this interview it's a really good talk by the way rich so um, yeah congrats actually on it thanks man it's done a long time ago yeah and and for those interested i'll uh, put a, a link to the tedx talk in the show notes now in your talk, you said that a simple trek in the bush that you were assigned to observe for a mission for a few days became to be one of your greatest teachers in life. Could you talk a bit about that here? What did you start to notice in nature that you didn't notice before? Yeah, the point I was trying to get across in that particular talk was that because I found myself in a situation, it was basically a patrol that I was doing it an observation task on a track waiting for enemy soldiers. But like I said before, 99.99% of the time in those roles, you're doing nothing. There's not, it's, it's not the big gun battle that you see on Hollywood movies. So you get a lot of time just sitting there, bored out of your absolute mind. And you've, you've got a couple of choices in terms of being able to cope with that. You either start thinking or reflecting or you just, you know, just sit there just going in slowly but deliberately insane because you're just bored. So for me it became became sort of one of those aha moments where I started to look deeply at everything around me and then realise that because we were sitting there so still, so quiet for so long, that I actually wasn't just in there like an observer. I was actually in there as part of the ecosystem. At, when we first arrived, yeah, sure, you, you've you've disrupted the the existing baseline of of natural and normal behaviour in that space, and then you sit there for a day, dead still, pretty much, and everything's gone like, oh well, there's a new kind of log over there, and it just absorbs you, and then then you see things that you'd never normally see because when we normally walk through the forest as a human, we're quite noisy. And every, everything kind of gets out of our way because there's this train coming through the through the forest. And it goes, whoa, that's dangerous. Let's get out of the way. So you don't see as much as you'd see when you're sitting dead still. So everything literally comes back. And at first it's curious. He just wants to say, oh, what was that? What was that big disturbance that came through? And oh, it came through here. Oh, look, there's some, some, there's some extra rocks and logs in here. And it just starts moving in and around you, flowing in and around you. And you, at some point, or for me at least, at some point I just went, realized that, wow, there's more, much more to, to this place than I just thought. It wasn't just sticks, rocks, trees, 
earth and a few birds. It's actually, there's this life everywhere. And that became one of those aha moments for me in terms of, wow, there's so much more to be seen if I can just sit still long enough to be accepted by it and it will show itself to me. And that's that's the main thrust of what that TEDx talk was all about in terms of, yeah, and then, then that obviously has some, some positives in terms of, you know, you're not thinking so much about the next hot date you're going to go on. You're thinking about the here and the now, mm-hmm. which is becoming more and more rare in our very, very busy world. Absolutely. NSSI, or non-suicidal self-injury, is far too common. Much more common than many people realize. Therefore, we invited Dr. Stephen Lewis to talk about this grossly misunderstood topic. So a few things that you just said right now, we're going to come back to in a few uh, minutes. So there are so many myths and misconceptions around NSSI. Let's uh, therefore already start by clearing some of those up here in the beginning. For listeners right now who have never have done self-injury but are trying to understand it, what are the reasons why someone would self-harm? Sure. So I think this is a really important area that we're talking about then. And the most commonly reported reason that people give for self-injury is that they, t- they say that it's used to cope. They say that it's used to provide relief from what seems to be very extremely painful emotional experiences. So it might be high levels of anxiety, depression, sadness, anger, frustration, high levels of distress. And what they say is that, many people say is that when they self-injure, that serves as a means to get relief from those really intolerable states of emotion. So it's not about, as we've heard in many cases, attention-seeking. Indeed, that's not one of the reasons at all, for the most part. It's really about coping and trying to find a way to manage what is otherwise incredibly painful and incredibly difficult experiences that people may have. Another reason related to some of this is that some people might use it as a means to express anger, um, self-criticism, or even self-hatred in some cases. So I've heard, and um, I can even think of some of my own personal experiences, that sometimes self-injury can be used to sort of express this sense of anger toward the self or to even punish oneself. And some people even say that they dislike themselves so much that self-injury is often used as a means to um, punish themselves because they think they may deserve pain. So a lot of of this really centers around really, really painful emotional experiences. And it's used then to try and find, and it's often used because it's the only way people have in that moment at their disposal to manage the pain. Certainly if they had another way to express it, to regulate it and to extinguish that pain in the moment, they would do it. But for many people, self-injury is really all they know. Guy McPherson, PhD, is a doctor of clinical psychology and founder of the Trauma Therapist Project, a platform where Guy provides resources and a community for clinicians and therapists of all kinds who are starting out on their trauma-informed journey. Guy is also the host of the Trauma Therapist Podcast, where he interviews leading figures in the field of trauma. 
In this interview, gain a strong base understanding of what trauma is, ways to start a healing process, and how to be supportive of someone who is suffering from trauma, along with many other insightful takeaways and lessons about this topic that a vast number of people are struggling with. So something quite interesting that a lot of people might not know is that uh, stressful and traumatic events leave um, imprints in our bodies. Uh, and there's an incredible book titled The Body Keeps the Score by Bezel van der Kolk, who is a well-respected expert on trauma and, and someone you had as well on your podcast who uh, talks thoroughly about this in his book. Words alone are often not enough to heal trauma. Uh, the body is often the reason why people can't move past their trauma. And the following question that I have is more of a, a two-part question. Uh, so first of all, how come trauma remains stuck in so many people, their bodies? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, trauma impacts. Peter Levine is another uh, kind of prominent researcher and, and therapist. And his initial work was looking at how animals uh, dealt with their trauma. Uh, and what he found out that, what he found out was, uh, oftentimes when animals get into a fight or uh, they become traumatized, what they do is either they uh, kind of submit, they lay there, or they kind of just like run off, they run away. They're, they're able to just get that that energy, that, that adrenaline, those hormones that just raise up. They're able to get that, expel that out of their body. We as, as human beings – don't necessarily do that. Mm. Uh, oftentimes we we freeze, we submit that trauma that completely, again, dysregulates our nervous system. The hormones in our body just raise up. That is stored in our muscles. That is stored in our brain in such a way that we associate a certain event with a certain feeling. And that's what happens when people uh, become triggered. That's what happens when, for example, veterans, when they come back and they hear a, a car backfire or it's the 4th of July here in the United States and they hear firecrackers mm -hmm. and they are immediately, they go back, they have a flashback. That event, that sound is, has been associated, has been blended and melded with that particular feeling state in their body and it sends them right back. And that's why oftentimes words aren't just enough to, to help someone heal uh, through trauma. It has to be uh, working through uh, and becoming acquainted with the, the, the varying states, the uncomfortable states of the body and understanding that it, they're no longer in danger. They're no longer a threat and moving through that. The most sought-after sex educator on the internet, Shen Boudram, talks about dating, relationships, and oh yes, sex, in this episode of the IPS podcast. Shen has appeared on countless TV and radio shows, she has written two books, and she is also a popular YouTube personality with over half a million followers. Shen is indeed a person who knows what she is talking about on topics such as dating, relationships, and sex. 
all these topics are parts of all our lives, yet they are topics that we learn little to nothing about growing up. So let's gradually move in this interview to more juicier topics. You've been working in the intimacy and dating field for more than 10 years. And when I was preparing myself for this interview, I also read your newest book, The Game of Desire. Yes, good for you. You know, not everybody does that. So respect for you. I love that. Yeah, I got the audiobook, which I mean, I love audio. And uh, it's also like you did such an amazing job, actually, with the audiobook. It's yeah, it's really well done. Thank you. Um, So you mentioned a few times in your book that despite the level of education people might have, few have the language to explain how they love and like to be loved. And I know this might be a big uh, question, but what will be ways for listeners to start learning this language better, to discover and learn how they love and like to be loved? I mean, you really set me up for a little promo moment. I didn't want to do this, guys. That was completely set up. But if you go to thegameofdesire.com slash workbook, there is a it takes about two hours to do. It's absolutely free. And it's all my favorite quizzes and assessments. So, for example, are you familiar with your love language? Yeah. So Dr. Gary Chapman, right? I've Yes. Yeah. I've read that book uh, a while ago. Yeah. Do you know what yours is offhand? It's. It's in, um, it's 101, having 101 time with someone. That's that's mine. So it's quality time. Yeah, that's that, Correct. that was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so I think what's wonderful about love languages is it's are basically our first universal language or glossary of terms to explaining how we like to be loved, our intimate connections. And that is an entry point for us to be like, wow, when you have a word, how much power is in that? And I really emphasize this by asking people to explain to someone how they like their coffee or tea made. Mm. And people can usually get very specific. I need it to be steeped for three minutes. I need two bits of sugar. I need a dab of soy milk. Like it's a really specific process in order for someone to successfully do something. Um, and anything in life, if you want someone to do something effectively, to do it well in the way that you like, you need to have clear language, clear universal language that you can explain and that they can understand. And when it comes to love, that applies as well. Mm. But unfortunately, we don't have those terms again, because we don't learn about love in school. We don't learn about intimacy as we get older. And we're not even encouraged to do our own self-education. People have very abstract ways of explaining fairly simple things. And so, for example, knowing you're anxiously attached can create so much understanding, can can lift the veil of fog that would be over why it is that you get so worked up in relationships when you don't get a call back. But when you have that language and you can effectively describe that to someone else, it's like empowering them to make the perfect cup of coffee or tea for you because now you can provide step-by-step instructions. So language is such a very, very big tool and it's very overlooked in the space where we are told communication is the most healthiest thing you can do in a relationship. Communication is key. And I'm like, well, what do people say? You know, it's one thing to tell them to talk, but you're not giving them the language. You're not giving them the resources to have constructive conversation. So people end up saying things like, I don't know. It's just that it's just I, I, I don't know where you are. I just I don't, I don't trust you. And I just and then it's like, well, you don't trust me. And now we're in an argument where in actuality, what I need to say is, look, when I grew up, 
I had parents who were not available consistently and they in essence developed an anxiety in me in which where I don't know where somebody is, I tend to get very worked up. I'm trying to work on that. And as I do that, I could actually use your help. So that little text, that little check-in text that seems innocuous to you, I totally understand. But to me, that's the difference between a night where I can relax and a night where I'm absolutely worked up the entire time. So please like do me a favor as I work through my attachment style, please assist me in doing this thing for me. Um, so I just think that language can set us free, create so much better communication and ultimately improve our relationships exponentially. Mm-hmm. So that's that's great advice, actually. The book from Dr. Gary Chapman, The Five Languages, is uh, an incredible book. And, it's a uh, bestseller for like 13 years. Like to me, that book is such a godsend because I do yeah. think it's the first time we've had a book that actually says, hey, loving someone isn't one giant mystery. Connecting with people isn't this confusing, dark, mysterious place. There are actual clear instructional guidelines that you can utilize to make a very big part of your life much better. And so I am so grateful. He actually has a follow-up called The Five Apology Languages, and people Uh should really look into that. Like that was such a genius move. I love Gary Chapman's work. Okay, I I actually didn't know that book yet. Is that recent? Did that recently came out or...? I'm not, it might have been in like the past five years for sure. I don't know the oh, okay. exact update of it. <laughs> well, that's not... Too, okay, then... Okay, I got to check that book too then. Uh, can you one more time uh, tell everyone the link to your website that you refer to? Yes, it's thegameofdesire.com slash workbook. And I do have a link to the five apology languages within that workbook as well. And there is a link to my absolute favorite attachment style quiz also in that workbook. And there we go, that concludes yet another 5 bullet point episodes. I hope you all enjoyed this 5 bullet point episode for episode 16 to 20 and found one or two that sparked your interest. Again, in the show notes located in the description of this episode, you can find links to the full episodes and other 5 bullet point episodes. Now, if you can't find them that way, you can also go directly to innerpicturestories.com slash podcast and search for 5 bullet point episodes. Now, with that, thank you for taking the time to be here and I hope to have you with us soon on another episode, another journey here on the IPS podcast. Until then, this is your host, Yelis Fass, signing off.